On The Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. Specialising in rural business and marketing design, find them on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Caitlin Hewitt and this is From The Saddle. Ron Conley is a true Australian bushman born and raised in the shadow of Mount Hothen in Victoria's high country. The 84-year-old spent his youth travelling the countryside winning bulldogging championships and camp drafting titles. But his proudest moment? Taking out the man from Snowy River title twice in his 60s. Ron has an extraordinarily adventurous spirit and has never let his age dictate what challenges he takes on. Here, host Kay Becker draws some big tales from this even bigger character. From the saddle. Well, we're in the mountains up near the ski fields, Mount Hotham. We, you can just look across the hills a bit and see Mount Hotham. Um, we're about five miles out of Omeo, up in the mountain, in a little valley. There's only us and um, one other family live up here. It's really nice and quiet and peaceful. Um, we could probably start off the day I was born. Um, my father was away and mum come from Melbourne. She had one uh, baby, 11 months old, and they lived in a slab hut down on the flat here. Mm. So she decided she'd better walk into town. Gosh. Um, and the track down there was only a pack horse track. So she put the my sister in the pram, pushed me, the uh, five or six mile was, um, really rough, steep, track down there and the creek was flooded she got down there and just as she got there my father come along and carried her put her on the horse and got her across the creek and anyway they got up to the hospital which was right up the back of the town and I was born about midnight that night so that's the sort of people that um we were bred from yeah I was going to say you were bred from tough stock by the sound of it oh yeah yeah well Everyone had to be to survive those days, really. It sounds absolutely magnificently beautiful where you live, for those of us who live up here in Queensland. Yeah, well, um, I've been to Queensland a bit. I was up there rodeo and shearing for a while. Um, Yeah, I loved going there, but um, I really couldn't have lived there on that flat country and flat and dry. Um, Anyway, I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so you would be well and truly a local. There wouldn't be many around not being there longer than you, I wouldn't think. Oh, there's, there's a few. There's, there's one or two old blokes. see them occasionally, mostly at the hospital. And, uh, oh, no, we went to a rodeo meeting another night and there was one bloke there at 87 and oh, I was getting a bit worried. I said, he's getting about a bit better than me, that fella. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ron, born in the Omeo Hospital, um, I guess school was, did you ride your horse into Omeo to go to school or did uh, your mum teach uh, you at home? No, we, we had to walk to school. We we moved into my grandmother's place so my sister and I could go to school. And we, I can remember we walked to school the first morning, two miles, never been to the school before. We had an idea where it was. Um Anyway, we got up the road about a mile and the, the kid from neighbours from there, uh, a couple of the older girls took charge of me and my sister and took us up and showed us around and 
Uh, I did not like school. I I thought it was hopeless. Um, you had to go to school. They told me you had to go to school and learn things, and all I wanted to learn was how to count me money and write me name. Other than that, nothing mattered. I just wanted to get out of school and go and learn things like how to build fences and how to shear sheep and break in horses and all that sort of stuff. So how long did your mother convince you you needed to stay there for? Oh, until I was about 13. Um, I got a bit sick of it and I got a bit sick of the headmaster. I knocked him flat on his back and um, (laughs) decided... um, not much good of me coming back here. He's not going to teach me much more. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, a couple of weeks later, an uncle called in at home and he was looking for someone. He was going into town to get someone to help him shear his sheep. And uh, my brother and I had been shearing a few sheep, not many, but, you know, we shore a few sheep. We knew how to do it. And uh, anyway, Dad jokingly said to him, uh, oh, you don't need to look for shearers. we got shearers here, two of them. I'm 13, my me, me brother's 11. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he said, uh, can you see a sheep? My oath, I can, I said. <laughs> so I got a job shearing sheep for him the next week. And the first day I saw 40 sheep. I can remember that. And it was two pounds, three and six per hundred was the price. And I worked out that night how much money I'd made, and I can still remember thinking it's not going to take me long to be a millionaire at this rate. <laughs> so how long did you continue to shear sheep for? Until I was in my 70s. <clears throat> I, I didn't shear full-time. I, I shear part-time. Um, but we still ran the farm. And I love shearing. Uh, all these blokes that reckon they had crookbacks and that never had a crookback the whole time I was shearing. And if it was possible, I'd still be shearing my own sheep, but uh, they're a bit bigger and heavier now. And I, the last time I can remember, I <coughs> tried to shear them. I got in the pen and I had a, oh, I had a job to tip one over. It was that big and heavy. And I'd go to give it a pull to reef it out of the pen and the thing wouldn't move. <coughs> so I <laughs> decided I better give up shearing. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously got better at breeding them. Oh, they were different sheep too. So my research tells me, Ron, you're one of nine. Yep. Obviously you just told us your sister is older than you and and you've obviously got a number of younger siblings. So are they all in the district with you or did they all Um, move on? Yeah, they have been, but they've been dying off pretty quick lately. We we lost one of my brothers and a sister within 10 days of one another of six months or more ago. But my older sister, she's a, a year older than me, and we're still going. And oh, she said uh, they bred the best ones first, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they got a bit softer as they got as they got. Um, oh yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, there's only only four of us left now: two boys and two girls. So you know, paint us a picture of what your childhood was like. You know. All those those kids, brothers and sisters, and everyone would have had a job, and and uh, so you know, how did it all work in the Connolly household on a day to day basis? Oh, quite good. The, the older kids looked after the younger ones. Um, you know, the girls helped mum. Um, but um, the things the people used to do, and the, the 
work that the women used to get through those days was just fantastic. But, uh, you know, no big houses, no, not a lot of housework, and um, uh, you grew everything. You grew your own vegetables. If you didn't milk a cow, you didn't have milk or butter. You didn't grow vegetables, you didn't have them. You ate a lot of rabbits and a bit of roux and an odd bit of mutton, and we just sort of lived off the land more or less, and... Uh, Oh, we bought bread and that sort of stuff occasionally. Um, went into town about once a fortnight. But, oh, it was fantastic. I don't ever remember being hungry or cold of a night or anything like that. Um, we thought it was a great life. You rode horses nearly everywhere you went. It was the only way to get there. And we thought it was wonderful. And so you left school at 13, I guess, you know, there were still some brothers and sisters at school after you left. So did you just go home then and stay at home with your parents and, and work alongside your mother and father on your family? Yeah, property? yeah, just worked on the property with Dad. Um, I, I thought he might have went cook a bit when I <coughs> didn't go back to school, but he, he never said a word. Come on, he said, we'll go and do this today and we'll go and do that. Mum, mum ran the whole place. She was a big, upstanding woman, um, very strong-minded. I tell you a story about her when Dad died of a heart attack. He was a very strong council member, and uh, I really loved the council. Anyway, he passed away, and um, a few of the locals tried to talk Mum into um, stand for council. And uh, oh, as I said, she was a pretty strong-minded woman. And, all these councillors were a bit worried if she got in there that, you know, they might be in a bit of trouble. So they sent one of the top <coughs> councillors around, one of the most noted fellows, to have a bit of a yarn to her. And um, anyway, he was telling her, he said, oh, look, he said, Mrs Connolly, you don't want to be in there in that council room. He said, there's no place for a woman in there. Mum says, what do you mean no place for a woman? The place is full of old women now. <laughs> Anyway, she didn't stand for council. <laughs> she would have been too busy by the sound of it to, to, to have council also. Yeah. So, Ron, you're still on the same place that you were born You were born on. Yeah. That in itself in rural Australia at the moment is, is a pretty amazing feat. I mean, there is no place like home, but did you ever think you needed to spread your wings and, and go and see a bit more or move on to somewhere else? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I went away shearing a bit. And I, I went to out to Western Queensland. Um, I was out there shearing and droving and um, <coughs> rodeo. Rodeo was the main reason I went up there and we went to all the rodeos and um, uh, I loved that. I, I <coughs> came home with a world championship from up there, from Winton in Queensland. Yep. So, so at what age were you when you did that, when you decided, oh, well, I'll go and have a look and see what else is about? 22. And so how long did you spend up here in Queensland? Um, oh, I can't remember, six or seven months the first year, and then we went back the next year just shearing. And, um, only, only for a few months just went back shearing mostly. And so you touched on your, your rodeoing time in Queensland. Had you done that before you came to Queensland or did you sort of think once you got here that's what everyone does so I'm going to have a go too? Oh, no, as soon as, as, soon as I could get a chance, I wanted a rodeo. Um, mm. the, the first rodeo they ever ran in in um, Omeo, they had a 
sports meeting one day and they had a, a steer ride. They used to have a steer ride. Any excuse was good enough to have a steer ride. So all us young blokes would go in that. Anyway, this day some blokes put on a buck jump as well. They had a steer ride and a buck jump. Anyway, I forget how I might have been 16 or something like that. And um, anyway, all the young blokes said, are you going in this? Oh, we're going to ride this. And I said, no, I'm not going to go in this. Anyway, while they weren't looking, I sneaked around and put my entry in. And uh, you wouldn't believe it, I won the buck jump and the steer ride. (laughs) (laughs) And therein was the love of rodeo starting. That's right, yeah. And so... You just told us you took home a, a world title um, out of Winton. What year was that? 1958. And what was it for? Uh, Bulldogging Championship. And so when did you decide that that end of, of the rodeo arena was going to be the end that you would focus on or did you still continue to compete in the rough stock or did you just go to the timed events end of the uh, and stay uh, Those days you, went in, you entered in the rodeo and put your entries in and you went in every event, Billy. Um, that way you had a chance of winning a bit of money. But nearly <laughs> everyone, and, you know, no one specialised then, and it was probably about from then on people started to specialise in one or two events. But before that, we just had a go at everything. Yep. And so when you were bulldogging, did you just use a station horse? Did you take horses with you from <laughs> Victoria to <laughs> Queensland? Or? It was... When you look back now, it was unbelievable. You'd get to a rodeo and uh, you'd look around at the pickup blokes and who was riding a horse and you'd see someone on a white looking horse, so you'd get over to him and buy me a pickup man. Uh, any chance of borrowing your horse for the bulldog and mate? Oh, yeah, it might be a 16-hand bloody thoroughbred or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> when we got to Winton, my brother-in-law and a mate was with me and... Uh, Anyway, we had a bit of a look around. There was a big, big, heavy bloke there picking up, and he was a pretty good horseman. You could see that, no worries. Oh, well, we go and ask him. He'd have, he probably got a good horse. We borrowed borrow one of our pickup horses for rodeo, for a bulldogging, mate. No, look, he says, you can't. He says, I brought a little grey horse in here for these all these blokes to bulldog off, but none of them will ride him. They don't want him. He's just a, he's just a drover's horse. Oh, can we use him? Yeah. Anyway, he was an absolute magnificent little horse. I won the bulldog and my brother-in-law got second off him. And so did you haze for one another or did it? No, it, no, did the, the, the pick-up bloke, bloke that owned them hazed for us. Mm. And so you went home You went home from Winton with the, with the world championship. Did you continue to bulldog? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. We had to come home because um, a couple of us had, you know, sheds to shear in and uh, we got home at oh, one o'clock in the morning when we turned up. <clears throat> the next morning we got up and my brother-in-law put these two big sashes out on the, across the old, back of the old man's chair and when he came out, and he said to the old man, have a look at that. He said, what do you think of that? And Dad looked around, he said, about time you won something. <laughs> <laughs> Usually is the case with most uh, most people and uh, their sons who rodeo. About time you won something. Yeah. So you continued you continued on with the rodeo world um, and became the founding member of the um, Omeo Rodeo Association. Um, 
what did that involve for you and, and how much work did you have to put in to get that off the ground? Uh, I didn't do a lot. I was only a young kid at first, but I was on the committee right from the start. Um, I'm still on the committee. I think it's 65 years or something we've been going. Um, but as we got older, Brenda's father-in-law and I sort of were the main ones that done a lot of the work over the years, and I was president of the committee for 30 years. Anyway, I was getting a bit old and getting in the road. We had working bees, and the young blokes were running over me, and I thought, i better get out of here. <laughs> anyway... We, st- we still have a lot of fun and we, we had our own buck jump horses for years and years, some really good horses. Anyway, they banned us from using them, the contractors, and so now we still breed horses, but we send them to a contractor, Ron Woodall. They, they take a lot, most of our horses and cart them around and half of their team of buck jumpers belongs to our committee. Initially in the early days... <clears throat> You know, there weren't really stock contractors like there are now for rodeos. No. Uh, you just go to the people and say, have you got a horse that no one can ride out there? Or did you, you know, I guess you sort of get pictures in your mind of, of brumbies in the in the snowy mountains. Um, did you catch those to use as, as stock or did you, you know, were they, that was out of bounds also? No, we used a few of them. Uh, they weren't all that good, but like, Nearly every place had horses still on them still. You know, the vehicles and tractors were getting going and a lot of people were getting out of horses. But you could go out on nearly any place and muster a dozen horses and uh, they weren't breaking them in then. We'd get a dozen from here and a dozen from there. But um, going and mustering the horses and bringing them in, um, that was the best part of it, a lot of it. Um, We used to have a lot of fun doing that. And got out a lot of good horses, but most of the horses, you know, the only way to win anything was be lucky enough to draw one buck good enough to win you something. And so, the the rough stock, the the bulls and that, they were contractors, or did? No, uh, no, we we only rode steers then. Yep, it wasn't that was before the bulls started. Yep, um, they were a lot harder to ride than bulls in in a lot of ways mm. because they're. You know, they're not very wide, and if you get six or eight inches off to one side on a steer, you're sort of half off. Mm. But if you get a foot off the centre in a bull, you're still on him. So I was real pleased when I started using bulls. But, um, you know, they only used paddock bulls then. There was no contractor, so they were a bit different. But, oh, it's all changed a bit. It, it has all changed. So... Your own family, you're, you're married with, with children of your own, clearly. That's where we've got a bit of our information from. Yep. Um, at what stage in your life did they come along where you, you know, came home from Warwick, or came home from Winton, rather, and and found a lovely wife and went on with life from there, or did you take a wife with you to Winton and bring her back? No, no, I come back. I, I was only 23, and oh, I went out with couple of three really nice girls. I thought, oh, you know, you could marry that one, but I don't want to get married yet. I want to have a bit more fun. So <laughs> <laughs> they got left behind. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, it was a bit funny, really. Um, <clears throat> you know, all the new brides usually co- used to come from, they were either nurses or school teachers that come into the mm. district. Anyway, at one stage, there were three new nurses turned up, so 
Me and my brother went to a dance one night and met these three new nurses, and uh, oh yeah, it was all right. And uh, we had a footballer's ball on or something, and I rang up the hospital and I wanted this dark-headed girl, asked her if she'd go out with me. And I don't know, she said, I can't go, I've got to work that night. She said, uh, but uh, me mate here will go with you. <laughs> 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 I thought, that's a bit funny. Anyway, I turned up at the hospital, and uh, it was this blonde one all ready to go. So we went out together, and her name was Avril, which was I'd never heard of it before. Anyway, we went out, and we went out a few more times, and I'd gone out four or five or six times, and I could not remember her name. <laughs> oh, Jesus, this is getting a bit serious. So I said, how do you spell your name? <laughs> anyway, she told me I made sure I didn't forget it then. And she's still sitting there 56 or 7 years later. Um, still looks all right. A bit frostbitten perhaps, but <laughs> <laughs> she's still there. <laughs> and you've never forgotten her name since, have you? No, I have not. Uh, <laughs> and so... How many children did you have of your own? Uh, got three girls and a son. The son's the youngest one. And the three three girls are very, very um, capable girls. Any one of them could mar- uh, manage a big station. Um, they've worked on big properties and um, any one of them could manage a big place and run it on their own, no trouble at all. My son's a computer man. He's, he's here helping me at now, but um, oh, he's good with mechanics and that. I've got him out in the tractor at the moment, rake at hay. But um, uh, those girls between them, the th- one or the other of them was secretary, uh, radio secretary for, oh, I can't remember, would have been probably 40 odd years at least between them. Yeah. So as time came, moved on, I guess. Um you know, you like every man. Rodeoing has to sort of, you have to give way to that and, and find a sport that's a bit gentler on the body. Um, you became the first president of the South uh, Camp Draft Association for Australia. How did you How did you land that position? Did you, um, you know, had you started drafting by then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were drafting uh, for quite a few years before that. Um, the girls were real keen. Uh, it was a big competition to see who, whose horse got on the truck first. And, oh, this one wanted two horses. And I go, I want to take two. I said, right, you can take as many as you like, but mine go on first. <laughs> <laughs> and so those horses, did you breed them and break them in yourself? Yeah, that was the main reason we did it. We wanted to breed them and break them in and um, find out if they were any good. And if they weren't as good as we wanted them, We'd sell them, and that paid for a bit of fuel to get to the next ones. But um, they were all very, <clears throat> very good um, camp drafters as well. I've got a photo here somewhere of uh, four of us, I think, sitting on our horse at a place called Tarkara. Yep. And we all won a draft that year, that day, wow. weekend. I won the Open. Uh, the oldest daughter won the novice. The youngest daughter won the ladies, and my son won the juniors. Wow. And we're all sitting on horses that we bred ourselves, and they're all by the same stallion. And so what was the best horse you think you rode out of all of the horses that you bred over the years? Uh, I bought, bought him a horse called Monterey. He's by Red Ray out of a 
uh, out of a thoroughbred mare. He was a oh, he was a just a champion horse. He won money nearly every weekend, and uh, he paid our entries and fuel to get to the next draft. So, how long did you continue to camp draft for? Oh, until about two years ago, and I I got a colt here. I bred a uh, disaster. I call him. He was a <laughs> <laughs> he was a disaster. I never bred quarter horses before, but anyway, I thought this quarter horse sounded good. Uh, anyway, two years ago at our local draft, I thought I, I'd been working him for all over the winter, and I thought I, I was going to take him to the draft and give him a run to see if he's any how he'd go. I knew he was pretty good because just working cattle. Anyway, I thought, well, I'm. You know, I've slowed down a bit. I haven't galloped after a cow on this horse. I better, you know, stretch him out and see what happened. I got the shock of my life. I couldn't get into a gallop. My body wouldn't go. My lungs wouldn't pump. And, uh. So I drove out and <coughs> leaned on the fence and um, watched for a while, and I didn't make a fool of myself. That was the time to hang up the hang up the camp draft hat and, and just become a spectator. Yeah, but uh, we were a bit lucky because this team pen that we're all sarcastic about started up and it's very quite strong here and uh, yeah. it suits older gentlemen really well. We, we <laughs> have a lot of we have a lot of fun doing that. Um, we go and you know a lot of a lot of the people there that come along, they can't ride. They do it because they can't camp draft. Um, you know, not really good riders, but very nice people, and we, we have a lot of fun. Now, the man from Snowy River, you would nearly have to be the oldest competitor to have won that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So tell us, how did you get into the, um, to that? I mean, you know, for the, for the layperson, that conjures up all sorts of images at the man from Snowy River competition. What does it involve and, and what made, you know, is it just where you live that you thought this is just a natural progression, that's what I need to do, or was it something that you'd always watched from the sidelines and thought, I can have a go at that? Uh, um, well, when it started up, some of the fellows that started it up come to me and talk to me about it and it was all to, all supposed to be, um, you know, to keep the old traditions going, the way the old blokes rode and that. In the first few years, we had to wear leggings and, you know, dress in gear, you know, the old blokes rode. We, we might have looked a bit daggy, but anyway, nearly all the events, there was nine, eight or nine events, I think, they were nearly all things that we did all the time, like packing horses. We, we I packed horses all my life. We still do. And... Um, breaking in horses and handling cattle and shoeing horses and cracking whips and um, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I got over there the first time and um, I don't know what I got, fifth, I think, or something. Um, but it was a lot of luck then, the first year or two. Anyway, I got fifth and I was really disappointed. I thought, ah, um, that wasn't much fun. So the next year I got a, I took a better horse and... She, oh, we got second, that's right. And uh, I was going to take her again. And I took her brother, a black stallion. He was a uh, brilliant horse at that, but a oh, buck jumping mongrel of a thing. <laughs> bucked, he, <clears throat> he bucked everyone that ever got on that horse, got bucked off at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> 
But at those those challenges and those things, he was an absolute brilliant horse. And anyway, we won two, won two in a row. Um, the first one, he won uh, he won by fifty eight points, I think. And most of them now are won by you know two or three or half a dozen points. That's the best horse event I have ever seen or heard of. Or, um, it was fantastic, and I loved it. And if I could still do it, I'd be still getting over there. I don't know. I'd find a horse if I could ride one. So what made what makes it so much? You know, I mean, you're you're a world champion bulldogger. I would have thought that would have taken a fair bit of feet beating the adrenaline of doing that. Clearly, you're a very successful camp drafter. Why is the man from Snowy River so much better than all of them? Oh, it's it's all the things that you do at home, um, but you've got to be you know, six or eight, ten times better when you get to a competition. Um, just being an all-round horse person, that's what I loved about it. You know, you get a lot of people who are very, very good on with horses in one or two events, but to be an all-rounder was what I thought was the best part of it. So how old were you when you won the first one? How old were you? 62 when I won the first one, 63 the next year. Wow. Um, but, you know, I was doing all these things at home and all these other young blokes, you know, only half my age and that, and uh, I didn't sort of feel as though I was any older than them. Mm. I just thought, well, I've been around a bit longer, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Bit more experience. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I loved that. That was great too. So what was involved in the Man for Snow River? What did you... I've been to the King of the Ranges at Marundi. Um, exactly the same. Exactly the same thing. So how did yeah. you get on at 63 years old doing the poly saddle buck jump? Oh, pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> I, right. I, no, I was still breaking in horses and um, uh, I can remember the first time I was in the final and um, anyway, one of the judges, Jimmy Pierce, said, you know, if you could... If they could wave their hat or, you know, it's not a rodeo event, if they can wave their hat or do something or other, um, carry <coughs> something around in their hand while they're riding, you'll get a few more points. Anyway, I was getting down on my horse and I had my whip with me and I said to because you had to carry your whip in every event. Mm. Anyway, I said to the judge, can I carry my whip and crack it, Jim? Oh, yeah, good idea, he said, good idea. You'll all, you can all do that. Anyway, everyone thought I was mad, but it's as easy as anything. You get out there and you just crack your whip in time with the horse. Every time the horse bucks, you just crack the whip, bang, 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 and it makes riding a lot easier and quite easy. Mm. And so, you know, that's 20 years ago. What was the prize to win the man from Snow River? I mean, it's quite a well-paying event now to win. Was it good money then or was it just... No, no. I got 10 grand when I won. Um, mm. my horse won it twice and I bought a new four-wheel drive. I've still got it. Yep. So that was his vehicle, I called it. <clears throat> but, I, oh, that was that was just a wonderful climb. So do you go on, do you go and watch it at, at all anymore? Or? No, I don't go and watch it. I, once I gave it away, um, I, they used to ask me to go and judge it. Uh, they'd ring up and say, can you judge this? I said, no, look, I, I can't stand there all day judging. I can judge it, do it. A little bit of judging for you, if you like. Oh, I just come over. You get over there and they, oh, someone hasn't turned up. Can you do this? Can you do that? 
and I drove three days straight there from, you know, about daybreak to dark, nearly the first two days, and, oh, not the stuff out of me, so mm. I just don't go now, so I don't have to do that. It's the easiest way not to get a job, not be there. So you talked about cracking whips. Did you buy your whips? Do you make whips? Oh, I make my own. Still doing that, I guess? Yeah, I, well, I've been smashed up here last January. horse bucked me off and broke me pelvis. Um, I was sitting around. I was in hospital for four months. And I come home and I thought, oh, I can't sit around here doing nothing. My hands are a bit cramped up. But I hadn't made a whip for a couple of years. And I thought, oh, get over this here and said, at least I should be able to do that. And, Oh, it used to take me about an hour, an hour and a half to make a whip. Took I made what did I make? Two two whips in three days, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have a bit of a go and anyway I've made eight or ten or a dozen just lately. Yep. So over the years you've had you've had some amazing achievements and probably not many people could lay claim to being able to turn their hand to to anything that they've done like you have. What's the proudest award you've got there? You know, when you look at your man from Snow River, when you look at your bulldogging buckle, when you look at your camp drafting trophies, which one do you go, that's the one that I worked the hardest to win? So the man from Snow River, without a doubt. Mm. Um, the, the bulldogging, it was, well, it was just another event at a rodeo and it didn't really mean much to me. It, I was at our rodeo one day taking horses or stock back after the rodeo and, uh, you know, I was in our truck and it's got our name on the door and a bloke walked past and he stopped and turned back and come over and, and uh, he said, are you Ron Connolly? And I said, yeah, who are you? Anyway, <laughs> he was <laughs> a bloke that I went to school with Gosh. a long time ago. Anyway, we had a bit of a yarn. Oh, he said, you won the world championship, didn't you? And I said, yeah. He said, jeez, that'd be great. He said, that'd be like winning a gold medal at the Olympics, wouldn't it? And Anyway, when I come home that night, I thought about that, and, and that's the first time it really meant very much to me. Mm. Well, it is exactly the same as winning a gold medal at the Olympics, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is when you think about it, but no, but no that man from Snow River, that's, that's the event. It's just, just the ultimate. Because when I was a kid, you know, all the bigger properties about had you know, one or two or three blokes on the property that could do any job anywhere and you could put them on any horse and they could get a job done, but they were about everywhere and that's that's why, you know, I th- thought it was so great because that, that's what I wanted to be, one of those blokes. Uh, like I say, I've only ever seen the King of the Rangers in in um, flesh and it's 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 great to watch and, and yeah, you've got to be a skilled all-rounder to, be, to even be able to compete in it really, much less win it. So um, oh, yeah. I can fully understand why it would be one of your proudest your proudest times. Yeah, another another proud moment is um, uh, the King of the Rangers, if you ever get a chance at looking at anyone that's won the buckle, it's got a <clears throat> engraving on the on the buckle, silver buckle, of me on that black stallion catching a brumby. And, uh, oh, right. Two of our daughters... The oldest one and the youngest one have both won the ladies, and they've got one of those buckles. Oh wow! I tried hard to win one, but couldn't. <laughs> 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 so that—that's probably one of the you know big uh, achievements. 
but I, I really think I've been in life <clears throat> because yeah, I remember we used to have a lot of pack horse races here too, and uh, I went for about eleven years and was never beaten in a pack horse race. I had pretty good horses, mm. and my son had spent about two years just travelling around the world with a backpack on his back. He come home just before the mountain cattlemen's turn out one year, and he said, uh, yeah, you got a couple of horses I could use to go in the pack horse race? And I said, uh, oh, yeah, you can have a couple of those mares, but you're not getting the best two. I'm having them. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we, we got over there, and uh, we're coming home in the lead, and we're going neck and neck. I said, well, what if we just trot up here and see if we can dead eat? That'll make the judges work. And uh, just as we got to the line, I thought, no, I'll let him win. So I just pulled back a bit, and he won. And uh, all my mates are ringing up, and, oh, they tell me there's a young bloke over there can pack a horse pretty good. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I, I taught him pretty well, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, the draw of the ranges is obviously um – you know, uh, the mountain country is a big deal and, and you, you, you're very settled there because there wouldn't be too many blokes around uh, who were world champion bulldoggers who didn't have a crack at the US. Did you ne- never contemplate that? You just thought, I just want to go back to the hills and, and I like my mountain country and that's where I belong? No, I, I did think about supposedly all the winners, all the winners of those events, that world championship events, were supposed to get a free trip to America to compete. Um, but we got up there and, you know, like there's a lot of professional riders there more or less then. Um, I was just a, a Victorian, which don't really count when, you know, lots of times. So I was only a young bloke. Um, I wasn't one of the professionals. They sort of didn't regard me. Another mate from, um, oh, I think he'd come from Charters Towers, Bram too, he won the steer ride. He was just a ringer from the station ringer. And a New Zealand bloke, Warwick Stegall, won the bareback. Yep. So all the top riders and professionals and that reckon, well, what are we sending them over there for? They're not our best riders. And mm. So they argued and carried on, and we didn't go. No. Anyway, it didn't, didn't worry me. No, I went home and had bigger fish to fry. Yeah, I, I was quite happy living here quietly. You must be immensely proud, Ron, that, you know, you're still on the same, on the same property that you're on, and I guess, you know, you're like all people, all men on, in the bush who, who are on the family property. Is it your dream that it stays in the family? Uh, yeah, hopefully. Um, I've got my son and daughter here um, helping. And, oh, they're sort of in charge and I should get out of the road and let them do it. I, I try not to tell them what to do, but they're doing a bit of arguing and carrying on. Um, I suppose that happens everywhere. Yep, yep. It's certainly a jammed, action-packed 84 years, I'd have to say, and one that you can be extremely proud of. And uh, thanks again for talking to us. Um, we wish you many more years of good health and, uh, and happy days. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you to our sponsor, Hewitt Consulting and Communications. I'm Caitlin Hewitt, the founder and co-host of From the Saddle. I started this podcast a year and a half ago because I knew important stories from rural Australia weren't being told. We hear stories of triumph and tenacity, heartache and loss, from rodeo riders, outback ringers, cattle traders, bronze sculptors and more. 
From the Saddle is an independent podcast. It's just us telling stories that matter to our community and we are so stoked that nearly 100,000 people have joined us for the ride. We're looking for partners this season to help tell these stories because we think they're worthy of being told. They're a part of our history and possibly our future. If you're interested, we'd love to hear from you.